0: we of Beyond the Desk, a podcast of West Dallas Public Library. Today we're discussing Ann Patchett's latest novel, Tom Lake, which might be as good as Bel Canto, her breakout best-selling novel. Tom Lake takes place in northern Michigan and really feels like a Midwestern novel. We think you'll really enjoy it. I'm Sarah. I'm Megan. And today we're going to talk about Tom Lake. Megan, I have read a number of Ann Patchett books, and I know you read another book of hers. What did you think of Tom Lake?
1: I loved it. I went in really not knowing anything about it. I didn't read a synopsis, I didn't read a review, I just went in blind, and I'm really glad I did. I loved it, and I was really transported. The only other Anne Patchett book I've read is The Dutch House, which I also really loved, and I think this has inspired me to go back and read her other books because... I'm just so impressed like how she transports you to a whole different place and you just feel so immersed in this world she creates and it's a beautiful one
0: in this book Mm -hmm. and I just really enjoyed reading it. I did too and I think one of the things that I really enjoyed when I first started reading is because she's written I think this is her ninth novel so she's written several books already. I can feel like I'm in the hands of an accomplished storyteller. When you just start reading it, you can kind of exhale Mm because you know it's going to be a good story. Yes. Whereas not that it isn't enjoyable to read novels early in a writer's career. It is. But I just got this feeling of, okay, I'm in for a treat. I know that I'm going to have a good story here.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I almost felt like, and I don't know if this is because the book starts with the casting of a play, but it almost felt like reflecting on the book I was like I almost felt like I walked into a theater sat down and was being presented with the story and was sort of that knowledge that you're gonna come in you're gonna experience the story and you're gonna walk out feeling differently you know I didn't know what was gonna happen I didn't know what it was about I felt like yeah it's all packaged it's ready you're going to be really taken along on a ride and you're in good hands yeah and it felt like does when you sit in a theater and you're waiting for the show to start like you're excited Mm -hmm. you don't really know how it's gonna be but you trust that you're gonna get something good and I was very satisfied I'm glad to hear it yeah she does just do a really good job right away of reeling Mm -hmm. the reader in I feel like within the first couple of pages I was all in. It wasn't one of those books where you have to read and like 50 pages in and you're like, ah, do I want to keep going? Mm-hmm. Right away.
0: I was committed. <laughs> I think you're right that starting it out with casting the play was a good idea because you do kind of want to find out who's going to get these roles. How are they going to relate to each other? Mm-hmm. And it's not spoiling it to say that Laura, who drops the U, but everybody still yeah. calls her Laura, I think.
1: I know. I was, I was sort of <laughs> confused, but like, I kept reading it as Laura, mm-hmm. but then I'd be like, no, her name's Laura. That was the only
0: part that I was sort of like, oh, that's weird.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was like, how am I supposed to say her name?
0: But yeah, so she is invited to help coordinate the casting mm-hmm. of Our Town, which is really central to the story. Mm-hmm. And she is not an actor, but she's in the back of the auditorium or wherever they're auditioning, and she's seeing bad Emilys one after the <laughs> other, and she finally decides like, she's just going to read the lines mm-hmm. herself. And she really isn't planning on doing that. It's just she's so upset by how all of these people mm-hmm. have been over Overreading reading the part that she gets up there and she gets the part and our town and the part of Emily becomes very important to Laura she ends up acting in our town three different times and that's how she ultimately meets Peter Duke who is at the time that she meets him he is just starting out But he ends up becoming a very well-known, famous actor. And so Tom Lake is this theater company. That's where the name comes in. But the story is about Laura telling her three adult daughters during the pandemic shutdown, when they're on their farm harvesting cherries, she's telling her daughters the story of how she met Peter Duke and what happened. And they know that she knew him, but he's still kind of a mystery to them, or at least how their mom was involved with him is a mystery. So they don't know the full story. And Laura doesn't exactly tell them the full story. One of the things that I enjoyed throughout the novel was that she, for the reader, includes more information. She doesn't want to tell her daughters about some of the intimate moments and she does share that with the reader so mm-hmm. we get a little bit more information than her daughters do and I really enjoyed that kind of structure of the story of having it be the two timelines and kind of the story within the story mm-hmm. I really enjoyed that and so you'd get scenes of the quote-unquote present time and you'd learn more about her daughters and what they were trying to do with their lives and how the pandemic was affecting their lives. And Laura is not as affected. I mean, they have all of these cherries they have to pick without the usual help. But other than that, she's really happy to have her adult daughters home with her. Mm -hmm. So she's not as affected as some other people, at least not so negatively affected. Yeah but I really enjoyed that story within a story.
1: Yeah, I liked the structure of it as well and I liked that it sort of introduced you know like natural breaks as mm-hmm. well. So I think it helped the pacing, but felt very natural. Telling that story without that structure of her telling her daughters would have been a, I think would have been a relatively short book. <laughs> and B, I think it might have become like too predictable or too much of a car crash. But with her kind of breaking it up through you know telling her daughters taking a break to make dinner and then you get to see a peek at her life now, I think it added a little bit of mystery. Mm. It, it added a little bit of a pause to like kind of reflect on the character. And in some of those breaks, you can think about the actions of young Laura, and then you see her now. And for the reader, it gives you time to think, how did she get from that person to this person? So I really liked that story within a story. I liked the breaks, and I liked that it gave me a chance to sort of make my own guesses at why or how things fell into place. And without spoiling anything, there were a couple of times where during those breaks, I was like, oh, that's this person. Like, there were connections made. I was like, oh, how did I miss that? in the story and just sort of like some of her daughter's revelations it was like oh I get it now but I really enjoyed that and I liked the parts where she was like I'm not gonna tell my daughters this Mm -hmm. and then you got the full scoop that was really enjoyable. One thing that I noticed too, maybe it was because you're going back and forth in time, even though I had the framing of spring summer 2020 for the present day and knowing how old her daughters are and whatnot, like you should be able to say, okay, this took place, you know, in the 90s or whatever, the old story. It felt very timeless. Mm-hmm.
0: Like I almost I felt agree. like
1: the story of her summer with Peter Duke and even her like teenage and college years. It could have happened in the 50s, it could have happened in the 60s, 70s, 80s. Like, I felt like it was so timeless. Which I think also ties into the summer stock theater company vibe. Almost summer camp atmosphere where you're removed from the worlds. You're not really tied to reality. It's its own place. But it felt like floating in time. Like, it didn't feel like nailed down. And maybe that also is part of the storytelling thing. Like, stories can feel timeless. But I just thought it was beautifully written, beautifully structured. Yeah, and Padgett knows what she's doing. <laughs>
0: I also really liked that with the structure, it gave you insight into why she made the choices that she did. Yeah, Because I think that's a big part of mm-hmm. the story. Because her daughters think, oh, you were with this famous actor, and you could have been a famous actress. Mm-hmm. And you find out throughout the course of the story and the storytelling, you understand why she made the choices that she did and why they were right for her. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed that because I think it's natural as you get older to think of how your life turned out and how it might have been different if you made different choices mm-hmm. and how sometimes one choice leads to another choice. Yeah. And so I think it still has that reflective quality, mm-hmm. which also kind of makes sense during the pandemic shutdown when time was kind of stopped. Yeah. <laughs> you couldn't yeah. really plan into the future, but you could reflect on where you are and how you got there kind of thing.
1: And I did like that her daughters very reasonably ask their mom, why would you give up Mm -hmm. fame and fortune to live on a struggling farm, because I think most people would ask that question. Maybe not the fame part, but you know, like when you look at how hard their life is on the farm and all the constant worry. And the daughters serve such like a nice role for the audience of just asking those questions, representing youth and what youth might want or think they want, and then getting to see her choices is really nice. I mean, I think this book is a lot about how you make choices, how you mature. And I mean, a lot of the story of her time at Tom Lake is watching her grow up and make more mature decisions just over the course of one summer and her realizing she needs to be a little bit more aware of her choices and how they affect other people. And it was nice to like kind of get to watch that Mm -hmm. and see how it all played out. And then you have Peter Duke as sort of this alternate reality for her and Getting to see how his life plays out was pretty
0: interesting, kind of shocking. Yeah, there are surprises there, too. Yeah. Also, I enjoyed the character of Sebastian, his brother. When Laura and Peter Duke are acting together, they are also acting with a woman named Palace. And then Sebastian comes, and they kind of become a foursome. Mm -hmm. And Sebastian is a tennis instructor, so they play tennis in their free time, and they go swimming. And... Sebastian is a really interesting character. He's very close with Peter but they're very different mm-hmm. and I really enjoyed hearing about their adventures and I also really liked the relationship between Laura and her daughters and how yeah. they're very different mm-hmm. and she really has in the past struggled with her oldest daughter mm-hmm. and her oldest daughter was really fixated on Peter Duke when when she was younger thinking that. I don't quite know why other than I think sometimes when you're a kid and you maybe wish things were different, you imagine some Mm -hmm. other scenario and she really thought Peter Duke was her father. Mm -hmm. And so you get to see how their relationship has changed too, even though it's like in that framework of Mm -hmm. the story, you know, her telling the story of her youth. It was really interesting to hear about the relationships that Laura has with her daughters. I really enjoyed that.
1: Yeah, I felt like even though the story is about Laura's relationship with Peter Duke and then like how she ends up on this cherry orchard, the heart of the book to me was her and her daughters, Mm -hmm. and it was really wonderful to read, and I really loved that, and you know, it made me think of my mom, especially when she's talking about her girls as teenagers and Mm -hmm. how their relationships kind of have transformed as they age. It made me think about my own mom and how close we are, but like how awful I could be to her as a teenager, and it made me sort of. of think about how that must have been for her a bit more and I thought it was just really well done it felt very real it was very touching yeah it was interesting to read these three girls and how they relate to each other as sisters even though they're so different especially as they're adults and they are coming home you know for this kind of unexpected time together. It was interesting to see these different personalities and see how they all had elements of Laura in them and where that came out. I just thought the characterization of all of the girls was really clear, especially the oldest and the youngest. I think the middle daughter was like a little... Sorry, middle children. <laughs> even, in, even in literature, you're kind of like the forgotten one, I feel like, a little bit. But I felt like the oldest and the youngest daughter were just very clear. Mm-hmm. And I loved figuring out who they were named after. Uh huh. That was always like a nice little treat, I felt like, to the reader. And there were a lot of little things sprinkled throughout the book that they felt almost like warm cake out of the oven, you know, like a little mm-hmm. treat for the reader. There's this one image where she talks about the girls are walking out of the house and one of them is playing with the braid of the oldest and then the younger one has her hands through the belt loop of the middle and they're all sort of connected and just like little images like that of like how connected they all are is really sweet. And mm-hmm. I think it ties into, at one point in the novel, several characters visit... This orchard for the first time, mm-hmm. and two or three of them that you know, like I'd always imagined what kind of an ideal home and an ideal family would be like, and it felt like this, mm-hmm. it felt like this place. I think that sort of encapsulated like the setting and how warm and homey and lived in it felt. And little moments like that, where like the girls are all on the couch together, or they're going through their basket of movies, or they're walking out, all having to touch each other, and stuff like that, it just really added to this feeling that it was a really warm, lovely place, place where people could grow. Mm-hmm. It was definitely like the healthiest environment I think we saw in the entire book with that yeah. farm. Like, that seems to be where people were their most functional, their kindest. I loved the setting. I thought she did a great job with that.
0: Yeah, so it takes place in Traverse City, Michigan, or near Traverse City, and I felt like even though I know that... I Patchet isn't from the midwest it felt kind of like a midwestern yeah novel to- it did it really felt like that yeah and so even though it takes place in Michigan I could easily picture American Players Theater and Spring Mm -hmm. Green and in fact this is how good of a storyteller Ann Patchett is. Even before I finished reading the book I was like oh I have to see Our Town because I had read it when I was in school and I had seen it before and I knew that American Players Theater was Mm. showing it this summer but when I saw their offerings for the summer I was like oh yeah I've seen Our Town before but then reading this, I was like, I really want to see it again because it's just so key to this story. And so I ended up getting a ticket for their last show oh, and going to see it. That's and, so cool. Yeah. I
1: actually don't think I've ever read Our Town. Okay. And so this has inspired me. I See, I don't like reading plays, uh-huh. so I do want to go see a production of it at some point because I do feel like it's so central to mm-hmm. the book. And actually at the end of the book, in her acknowledgements, she talks about how important that play has been to her own life. Yes. And so that really motivated me to someday see it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, maybe I'll just read it because I don't want to wait forever to have to find a good production of it.
0: There are also, there's probably a filmed version somewhere. Yeah,
1: I think that there's one with Paul Newman. Oh, I love Paul Newman, so yeah. I should probably watch that. Maybe yeah. I'll take that home and... We probably have it at the library somewhere. I'm sure we do. I'll look it up in (laughs) County (laughs) County. Yeah, her reflections on the play itself were interesting, especially when she realizes, oh, I'll never play Emily again. Like, Mm -hmm. even if I were in our town again, I'm too old to be Emily. Like, I'd have to be a different character. And that kind of reflection on how your roles change in life and what you're able to do, how other people see you. I thought that was a neat little part of it, too, Mm -hmm. to tie in the play and her aging and kind of growing up. I mean there's sad things that happen in the book but it just felt like very comforting and Mm I
0: thought
1: it was like one of those books that I felt like you could return to it Mm -hmm. and read it over and over again and probably notice new things or get something different out of it
0: also even though there are some conflicts and difficult things you know that ultimately Laura makes it out okay because she's uh, She's telling the story (laughs) yeah she's good and she's happy with her life yeah and the choices she
1: made I think that was something that was actually very reassuring mm-hmm. because I feel like in a lot of drama, whether it's books, movies, whatever, dissatisfaction is used a lot. Mm-hmm. And there's often characters who are unhappy with their choices or they have regrets. I mean, that's sort of like an easy story to tell. Mm-hmm. But I think telling the story of somebody who made choices and then is happy with them, like, I don't think you read that that often. And so it was nice to read about somebody who was happy and who was fulfilled and felt like she had really found the life and built the life she wanted with the people she wanted in it. Even if that wasn't what most people would have chosen in her situation or people, including her own children, who are like, why? So that was nice. It was just nice to
0: read about somebody who was content. Yeah. On a related note, I think I've heard that it's hard to write a happy song. It's a lot easier to write a song where somebody's brokenhearted or whatever. Yeah, I mean,
1: that makes sense. Like, there's a lot of high emotions. Mm -hmm. I think happiness or contentment is not as dramatic. And, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's harder to... It's harder to do well. It's certainly harder to get plot out of, (laughs) I think. (laughs) Yeah, and it's hard to do well. Mm -hmm. But I think she did it. Mm Mm-hmm. I think she did a great job.
0: Well, I will say that the first book that I read of Ann Patches, and I've read most of her work, not all of it. I've read all but one of her novels and some of her nonfiction. And the first thing that I read was Bel Canto. Okay. And I remember, I think the year it came out, I was working in a bookstore at the special order desk. Book clubs would order multiple copies. And when people would just be asking for help finding a book, they would see Bel Canto and they would say oh have you read it that's so good and so I had heard really good things about it for a while and then I was working for a writing magazine 10 years later and we were sent from the publisher this cute new edition of the book like a special edition and I was like oh you know I heard so many good things about it I'll read it well I read it and I absolutely loved it it's about these people who are in South America who are involved in a hostage situation and they end up trapped with the people who are holding them hostage but instead of it being scary they end up bonding Mm. and so relationships form it's really beautiful and one of the characters is an opera singer Mm. and it made me want to go to the opera You see a pattern here. (laughs) So I hadn't ever gone to an opera before, but after reading Bel Canto, I went to the Florentine Opera in Milwaukee I loved that book so much and I think I might like Tom Lake as much as Belle Canto Okay. I've enjoyed all of her books that Mm -hmm. I've read but I think these two in particular I really loved I did want to mention to you Megan because I know that you are a nonfiction reader Mm -hmm. Ann Patchett wrote a book called Truth and Beauty about her friendship with Lucy Grayley the two men at the Iowa writer Workshop oh. um, when they were students together. Okay. And it's a really lovely memoir about okay. friendship and their friendship I in read particular. it that sounds like right up my alley. And then after I read that one, I had to read Autobiography of a Face by Lucy Grayley because she wrote her own memoir. Oh. She was diagnosed with cancer as a child and she lost part of her jaw and she oh. had many reconstructive surgeries. And then she also, perhaps unsurprisingly, because she would be on painkillers she ended up dealing with addiction and that's an excellent book, too. So the two of them are really good to read. Yeah, kind of read
1: together. It's interesting. Mm -hmm. I should read that, yeah. I've only read The Dutch House Mm -hmm. previously by Ann Patchett, and that was one where I had owned a copy for years and it just sat on my shelf and I never read it, because I don't read a lot of fiction. And when I do, I read, like, genre fiction. Like, I read romance, I read fantasy. I don't usually read literary fiction, because usually if I want to read fiction, I want, like, pure escapism. Like, (laughs) I I want it to be totally devoid of reality. And so I sort of just like avoided it for a long time. And then one day I basically was like, Well, I have nothing else to read. I'll try it. And I loved it so much. And I was like, I can't believe it's been sitting on the shelf for three years. And then I was like, Oh, I really like Aim Padgett. And then I just like never read anything else. And so reading Tom Lake has sort of motivated me to like go get more of her books because mm. she's so good and I need to just read them. And that's a good recommendation to jump back into her back catalog with that one. And Belcanto sounds really good. It is read I highly that for recommend
0: sure. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. I mostly knew her because she owns a bookstore, Yes, Parnassus Books, yes. and she's done a lot of great advocacy for independent bookstores and authors, and so I'd always sort of admired her for her love of books and the book world, and her dog is really cute. And stuff. Yeah. Like She always <laughs> posts videos of her dog doing the promo for the bookstore and stuff, and so I always thought, like, oh, she seems like a really lovely human being, and just, mm-hmm. like, I love that she loves books so much, booksellers and all this stuff, but I think this does motivate me to go back and read her back catalog. She put the holds on before this podcast episode comes out, <laughs> so I have a chance of getting it quickly. So I'm really impressed with her. I
0: feel like she's one of those writers that you just know you're going to get something good. hmm I am looking forward to seeing her. She's coming to town. She's coming December 6th to the Oriental Theater. Boswell is coordinating that, and I'm planning on going. And I did see her at Boswell a few years back. I think I saw her for a couple of books. I know I saw her for State of Wonder because she did this fabulous reading. There's this dramatic moment. It takes place in the Amazon. So there's a researcher, and then somebody who wants to work with the researcher and there's like this dramatic moment with a snake and that was what she chose to read (laughs) and it was really good so i'm looking forward to seeing her again
1: i wonder if she does a reading you'll have to tell me which part of tom lake she reads okay because i always wonder how do they pick the bits that they read on tour Mm -hmm. and i don't know what i would pick out of Tom Lake.
0: Yeah. I, I think know. a lot of times they pick the beginning, but mm-hmm. not always. Yeah.
1: Because I feel like you have to read something towards the beginning, so you don't want to give too much away. Yeah. But, like, it has to be something that's dramatic enough to yes. grab
0: people. Because
1: so I feel like the really dramatic moments happen later. Sure. Mm-hmm. You know, in Tom Lake.
0: Well, also, it does take a while for her
1: to talk about Peter Duke. Yeah. You spent a lot of time leading up to that. Yeah. Maybe her first meeting with Peter Duke would be a, a good section to read because he makes quite an entrance. Yes.
0: I have to ask did you picture anybody as
1: Peter Duke? So I pictured him almost as, like, a Dean Martin almost. Okay. Because of, like, the way she described his pants as, like, kind of these, like, wide-legged trousers. Uh Uh-huh. I was picturing kind of, like, that 50s, like, late 40s, 50s style pant. But then, like, the descriptions of him I don't think really match with that. Uh Uh-huh. But for some reason I was picturing sort of a Dean Martin kind of guy. And then later I was like, oh, maybe he's more of, like, a
0: Robert Redford. Uh Uh-huh. And then career wise, I was like, oh, is he like a Tom Hanks? That's what I thought career wise because she mentions that there's a movie that is very famous and it almost sounded kind of like big, yeah, not not big. It It did sound kind of like that though. But yeah, and And then and then he has a more serious career later.
1: Yeah. So she kind of talks about how he did sort of like these popcorn, like one of them is I think even called like the popcorn something, Uh like these popcorn fun movies, and then he switches over into more dramatic roles. And I was like, well, that's like Tom Hanks' 80s. Into like early 90s. When I really thought about his career, I thought it was probably more like a Tom Hanks career. Yeah, but he's not described. He's like not described Tom Hanks. like Tom Hanks. Physically, I thought of him as like a Dean Martin thing or like the actor from Singing in the Rain. Oh, Fred Astaire. Fred Astaire. <laughs> yeah, I don't
0: know. Something like very theatrical and like. Yeah, But also I an see enigma, that. like very physical. Or even like Dick Van Dyke in the Mary Poppins movie.
1: Oh yeah. I just rewatched that recently and I forgot how his limbs are like rubber. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. He can
0: do anything. Yeah. Did you picture him as anyone? I just kept thinking of Tom Hanks as the career, but the description of him is not Mm -hmm. Tom Hanks. And so I felt like she doesn't describe him a whole lot. So Mm -hmm. it's like I didn't really picture anybody in particular, but I did think of Tom Hanks because of the career. And so I was just curious if you thought of anybody. And what I thought was interesting, I'm not super familiar with Dean Martin, but I could see how he might fit because I don't know, I think I've always seen like pictures of him, he looks the same. And that's yeah. kind of like yeah. how Peter Duke is described that he plays the same age, even yes. though he has aged. Yes. When exactly. he's younger he plays someone older. Yes. And as he gets older, he's just still always playing yeah. the same age. He's kind of that's I think that's why I sort of thought of those like fifties
1: Performers, because they're sort of preserved at this one time in my mind. Yeah. So that's sort of how I thought of him. Is like he's just this one guy who yet doesn't really age, even though he ages. Like he doesn't. You hear stories about him at other times, like little snippets, but like the reader's experience of Peter Duke is really at one crystallized moment, that one summer. And all the other kind of stories you hear about him are mostly small Mm -hmm. comments on his career, comments about a movie, or even if they are things that happen with
0: Laura. Their smaller moments. I didn't really yeah. like him either. I mean, I didn't. <laughs> like he's he's charming initially. Yeah, um, and he certainly charms Laura. Yeah, he isn't really likable. <laughs> he feels
1: like from the beginning he just feels kind of empty. Okay. Like as a person, I felt like he just was shallow and kind of empty and listless. Or like listless. he was always
0: putting on a show. Yeah. You know, in, in his off time. Yeah.
1: He was playing a part. He wasn't. Yeah. I didn't feel like there was a true Peter Duke essence. Like, he was changing all the time. He seemed very shallow. He seemed like he could, you know, bounce from relationship to relationship, he could discard things as he needed to, almost like he could change costume. He could change, you know, throw that prop away, get a new one. Like, he just didn't seem settled into his personality yeah. or his, like, character. And obviously that's kind of reflected in his life. But, yeah, I didn't particularly care for Peter Duke.
0: It also makes it seem like that's why he would be good at his job. Yeah. Because he he was always acting.
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) His whole life was a performance. Which is kind
1: of interesting when you contrast it to what they all said about Laura. Like, why she was so good is that she wasn't acting. She would just kind of bring herself to whatever role she played. But then she had sort of a limited range, right? Yeah. But they all said, like, what was so good about her was that you couldn't even tell she was acting. She was just there. Yeah. And she was just being that person. Whereas it seems like Peter Duke was really anything and everyone. Mm -hmm. And she was just herself. Yeah. And that's why she didn't continue. Yeah. Because she was like, I can only be this person. I can't do what he's doing. of constantly changing. And Mm -hmm. Peter Duke and Sebastian as brothers was an interesting contrast. Mm -hmm. The decisions they made, mm -hmm. the loyalty they felt to each other. You sort of wonder what would have become of Sebastian if he didn't have Peter. Mm -hmm. I had almost more questions and affection for Sebastian than Peter. Oh, absolutely. And Sebastian I felt like, is more likable. Oh, for sure. felt like I
0: wanted to know more about
1: Sebastian.
0: Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting because I don't know if I read it or if I heard it in an interview with Ann Patchett, but I understand that she was thinking about... Telling the story from Sebastian's point of view. I read that in an interview. Okay. Yeah. And I think it would be such a different book if it was from Sebastian's point of view. I think it would be interesting, but it would be very different. I think it would be interesting. I
1: don't think I would like it as much. Uh
0: huh. Because I think so much of the book for
1: me is the family. Yeah. Is Laura's family and her daughters and the life that they've built and like why it's so beautiful. And we wouldn't get that from Sebastian's. We might, like, from an outside perspective, we might see it, but like we wouldn't get to actually be in it the way we are with Laura's point of view. So I'm really glad she chose uh-huh. that point of view. I think it would be really interesting to see Sebastian's point of view. I think but we'd
0: have a much a different, different yeah, we'd have a much different idea of Peter because he seems to be this uber charming performer in all mm-hmm. aspects of his life. If it was told from the perspective of his brother, I think he would feel a little bit like you'd get insights into the real Peter, I think so. I think you'd have more sympathy for Peter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Just by virtue of his brother,
1: obviously, having so much love for him and loyalty to him, and he takes such good care of his brother, or tries to take care of his brother their whole lives, it sounds like, even as young children. I think it would be a very different book, and we would have different relationships with the characters.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. It is kind of nice that she balances the relationships of the mother and daughters with that relationship of the two brothers. Yeah. Because you get the closeness of the two men and then the closeness of the women. Yeah. I like that.
1: There's a lot of places where you see different family relationships, too. Like, there's her and her grandmother. You kind of see that she wasn't close with her own parents and brothers and you see Joe and his aunt and uncle and that relationship and why it was so close. So I liked that there were all these different versions of families in the book. I felt like you could see how these different kinds of family structures or, and relationships within families played out and who those people became.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like of course Joe is who he is because you look at his family and his aunt and uncle and you look at Laura and her family and you're like, it wasn't super close to them but she was so close with her grandmother and it was neat to see a couple different kinds of families and then who came out of those families. And it's like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: She packed a lot into the book. Yes. But it's not a big, hefty tome. Like, she's no. very economical. Mm-hmm which I think is a sign of how good of a writer she is, that you can get all of these different people and characters and a sense of who they are very quickly, which I like. I don't like when a book is 600 pages and we have to spend 200 of that diving into sort of backstory and doesn't feel like it needs to be
0: there. I think sometimes that's a a matter of editing. Yes. If maybe things were written in a different era. I don't know for sure, but Mm -hmm. my feeling is that today there's not much time for editing, so things aren't as edited as they used to be. And maybe if something was published, say 30 years ago or Mm -hmm. more, maybe there would have been an editor to say, okay, let's cut the first 200 pages. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know. I remember like
1: around like maybe 2014 to like 2017, I remember I was in a book club at the time and a couple of people were like, why do these books just feel like they just meander? And I was like, because they need an editor to just sit them down and say, you need to cut 300 pages out of this book. Like, this is too long. I think there isn't as much time for editing. I'm sure there's not enough money and people are pulled in a million directions, etc.
0: Well, but, and not everybody writes you know, 600 pages, right? So sometimes the cutting of the 300 pages means somebody just has to rewrite the book. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes you just have to start over,
1: and I'm sure that's devastating to hear. But I, I would be devastated. Yes. Um, <laughs> but then you see somebody who can write a 300-page book and it's tight, and yeah. you're like, "This is what I'm looking for." Bravo! <laughs> <laughs> she did it. I loved it. Well, I hope thanks, people read so it. God. Yeah, I I really loved it. I hope other people read it and love it too. I hope so. I think they will. I just like quickly want to say it's the first book I've read that deals with the pandemic Mm -hmm. and I thought she dealt with it really well and that it's like it's in the background. It definitely affects some of the choices they have to make like with the harvest and whatnot and it gives you sort of that sense of timelessness and uncertainty but without hammering it over the head or like making you kind of go back to the bad parts of that time and it was what sets it in motion but then you don't have to like hammer on it. So it'll be interesting to see how the Pandemic is handled in fiction.
0: I've read a couple of books that have dealt with it maybe more directly, I would say. I read The Sentence which deals with things being shut down and it's also set in Minneapolis mm. so with the George Floyd oh. situation and then I also read I think it's called These Country Friends Okay, by Gary Steingart. Okay. and that one is about people who during the pandemic they decide to live in the same place there's like multiple buildings or whatever and it is funny but then of course it gets serious Mm -hmm. so those are very different from this one does feel like almost like a happy bubble (laughs) yeah yeah right it
1: does it'll be interesting to see how that plays out as people write more and more about that time period set more fiction I do feel bad for people who have books that were already done pre-COVID and then got published and were set in 2020 and don't have it in there and people are like this is jarring Because <laughs> so I read I think I read like a romance that was literally published right before COVID yeah. or had been finished before COVID and it was like the summer of 2020 and like everybody's just like going out and I'm like no, no they didn't <laughs> like everybody just sat at home and it was miserable like what are you talking about like so bad for that author so yeah But,
0: well, yeah, this was a happy bubble of a book, and it was nice to read. Thanks, Meg. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Beyond the Desk. You can find all the book titles we discussed in the show notes. Tune in again next month when we talk about The Mystery Guest, a sequel to The Maid by Nita Prose. That's all for this episode. See you next time.